Let's just stand in awe for a moment. Just for a moment. Is not God great? Is he not good? Is he not the most awesome thing you can think of, the most awesome person you know, and the thought of being in his presence someday, is that not awe-creating in our hearts? We stand in awe of him. Bonnie is with us today. Tom just entered into God's presence. That is an awesome truth. He's there. Dave's with us today. Just this last week, his mother, Carol, passed into the Lord's presence. We know that. That's an awesome thing to know this life does not end with our own death. This, this life is just a chapter for those of us who know Jesus Christ. We've been provided a heavenly home. We stand in awe of our God who has so provided for us, for those we love. Oh, God bless you. You may be seated now. How many of you feel good about God right now? Yeah, can we just... Uh, that's good, that's good. That's why we're here. Okay, now, putting hope to work. Putting hope to work is the title of this new little series of messages. And as I said last week as we began it, Hope deployed, that is, hope that's been put to work, results in spiritual victories enjoyed. Hope deployed results in spiritual victories enjoyed. Now, over the past few months, we have discovered many revelation-generated hopes. Those are the best kind of hopes to have. The hopes that are generated by the very truths of God the very things that God has said, the things that God has revealed to us, those are the things that can truly stir up hope in our hearts. And that hope we saw can stabilize us, it can energize us, and it can even categorize us in this world in which we live. We become known as one of his people, sometimes as one of those people, now, beginning today, we're going to select a number of those hopes. We're going to rediscover them, if you will. And then we're going to define them in a fresh way. And then we're going to explain how we can effectively deploy them in our everyday life. Now, tentatively, as I look down the, the weeks of this series, I've chosen 10 of those 22 hopes might be blending them some together, but I believe there are ways that we can strategically deploy. We can put to work in our lives 10 specific biblical hopes that should uh, do all those things for us. Stabilize us, energize us, and yes, characterize us. And hopefully as we do so, uh, the future will hold many spiritual victories as a result of our efforts. So as we begin, let's just bow before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, you are the God of all hope. And you don't give us hope just to help us feel good, though it sure does make us feel good, 
to know my hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. But Father, you give us these hopes also to just stabilize us, to be like an anchor for us in the the storms of life. Father, you give us these hopes to energize us, to stir us into action, the living of a God-honoring, God-pleasing life, a life that, that blesses those around us. And then, Father, it also becomes something that characterizes us, that we become known as people of hope. And Peter says, in this world, there will be those who will ask us, why? How? What causes you to to have hope in your heart when you look around and you see the same things I see? And then when the answer is given... They learn something of the goodness of our God. So, Father, may this be our experience and help us now today as we begin. May your word take root in our heart. May your Holy Spirit help us understand it. And then may it just settle down so that through this week we, in fact, will live it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here now, as you have on your sheet, this is the first of the discovered or rediscovered hopes. I title this, My Hope Discovered, but the only way this is going to work if you make it personal. I am not sharing my personal testimony. So when I say my hope discovered, it is a hope that I've discovered, but when you say those words, you're talking about yourself, right? So when you read that title, My Hope Discovered, We're talking about something you have discovered, a hope that's going to stir some things. So we want the whole series to be very personal, that when you look at it through the week and you review it, you say to yourself, my, and that's you, my hope discovered this past Sunday was this. Well, here it is. First hope we're going to look at. We find it in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. A long, long time ago we read these verses. John says, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, this hope is the first one we discovered as we went through the book of Revelation. And remember, we pointed out on that Sunday some five weeks, months ago, that when we read those verses, that this is the first and only time in the entire Bible where Jesus Christ is described this way, by these words, referred to in this very extensive way. He's referred to, identified as the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's not just referred to in this passage as the king of the Jews. On Palm Sunday, that's what the Jews were focused in on. Here comes our Messiah, the King of the Jews, the King of David, the one who will follow along. He was uniquely identified with their nation and with their hopes and their dreams. And now here's John, perhaps one of the last living people who took part in that Palm Sunday uh, adventure. And the Lord Jesus, the exalted Lord Jesus from heaven, now reveals to him these additional revelations. And one of the revelations identifies Jesus as the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
Later on in the book of Revelation, in fact, all the way up to chapter 19, John was given the vision or the revelation of Jesus leading the armies of heaven under the title that he had on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's just another way of saying that Jesus, our Savior, is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the king of all the kings. That's a very hopeful thing to discover, especially when people might try to tell us who's in charge of our lives and who we ought to be considering to be the know-it-alls in the world. For us to say there's one king. There's one king over all of the so-called kings of the earth and the rulers of the earth. And my hope is in him. So how do I define that hope now? How do I put it into some sort of an expectation form? Like I'm hoping and it has to be future. It's what's coming. So that's step two, my hope defined. Here's how I, I would express it. Jesus Christ will one day personally rule over all the nations on this earth. His kingdom will be awesome. If we're standing in awe of God today, imagine what it will be like when God personally, the Son of God personally, is in charge of everything on this earth, even in its fallen condition. It says the animal kingdom will be adjusted. The wolf will lay down with the lamb. Men will no longer go to war against each other. It'll be a, an incredible thing to have Jesus Christ in charge of everything. And the spirit of Christ, the teachings of Christ, the character of Christ being the dominant attitude of, over the entire world. Everyone will be treated fairly. Everyone will be taken care of in whatever way that is needed. For Christ himself will be in charge. Our hope, a thing that can stabilize us, energize us, and characterize us is that there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will rule over this entire world and every single living being will confess that he is Lord. He is the Lord. I'll tell you, think about that. One preeminently qualified, supremely powerful, loving and merciful, almighty, divine being ruling over the entire earth. It will be as close to heaven on earth as uh, this fallen world will ever see. Now, interestingly, ironically, and we could even say tragically, that's really what today's progressives and radical liberals actually yearn for. When everything is under one control and one dominant attitude and, and where everybody is cared for in a way that is fair to all and they yearn for that, they talk of that. It's just that they believe at this point that somehow perhaps they all collected together or maybe one of them individually might qualify for that position to be the one 
to rule over all, to be the one to make everything right, to be the one to take control and, and being, be a blessing to every single living human being. The problem, the problem with that is that what they see so easily in others, selfishness, insensitivity, callousness, and all manner of other examples of fallenness, what they see so easily in others, they fail to see in themselves. And so they go through our cities and through our governmental agencies spewing out the very things that they condemn others for because they're just as fallen as anybody else. They have just as rebellious a nature against the goodness and grace and person of God as any other human being does. And eventually sin outs and sin shows itself. And even the best of them with the notions they might have, they fail to recognize they have no power to make this happen. They have no power because they're as fallen as the people that they criticize. They're as fallen as the people they might say who are in desperate need. And so our hope, my hope, is certainly not in some leader who will arise among men. For all men are flawed. Only as human leaders themselves put their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ will their hearts and eyes see and feel what truly needs to be done in the affairs of men. And my hope is that one day that will happen. One day that will happen. The Bible tells us when the Lord Jesus Christ himself rules over all the kings of the earth, and everything that ought to be done will be done, and everything that needs to be taken care of will be taken care of. And sin, in a large extent, will be eliminated from the picture, though man's fallen nature will still remain. My hope is in that. My hope is in that. In the intermediate time, the truth is, as those who lead us do put their hope in Jesus Christ, then they can deploy that hope into the world of governance, even as you and I should seek to deploy that hope into our realms of life. And so therefore, we should pray for them. We should pray for kings and rulers and professors and leaders of various kinds that, that they... might yield themselves to the only one who can bring hope to mankind and to enable them to do the very things that the best of them might have in their heart to do. So pray for them. Pray for them. All of our leaders, wherever they might be found, that they might target the Lord Jesus Christ as the one in whom their hope should be placed. But now we've discovered that particular hope, and we've defined that 
particular hope in an expectant way. We know the Lord Jesus Christ someday is going to rule over all of this earth. And those who know him right now can kind of link themselves to the, to the glory of that and seek to be his agents wherever and whenever they can and to do the things in their realm of life, what he himself would be doing as far as treating people well. But the day is coming when it will be him and it will be done flawlessly. Put your hope in that. But now, in the interim, how about just you and me? We're not running the United States of America. Well, we do have a very small part in it. All of us actually do get to run the United States of America. It's like owning one share in Amazon. And we say, they're having their annual shareholders meeting. Okay, well, I've got to go to it. I own one share. I have something I want to say about how this company ought to be handling its affairs. And I'm going to ask if I can get on the agenda. And uh, what? I doubt if the one shareholders get to go to the annual shareholders meeting. But we do have one share. It's called a vote, right? So in many, many areas, we can exercise our limited opportunity to govern and to decide things. So don't throw your share away. Think about it and, and cast your vote this fall for people at all levels that you think might actually honor God in, in the way they live their lives and in the things they believe in and the things they're trying to do. That's one way we can deploy our hope uh, into the immediate future. But now I say here in the box, we have my hope deployed in a larger sense. How do I release this hope that someday Jesus Christ will rule over everything? How do I release this in my life today? Here's how we express it. Since my hope is that Jesus will one day rule over all, I will eagerly submit to his rule over my life today. I will encourage others to do the same. Turn to somebody next to you and just say, submit. Okay, now turn to that same person and say, I'm planning to submit. I'm planning to submit. How do I put this hope that, because someday we're going to submit to Jesus, right? How many of you, when you see Jesus face to face, are going to feel pretty comfortable just bowing your knee? Yeah, I think so. We might just fall flat on our face like John did. You know, I mean, but since my hope is that Jesus will one day rule over all, I will eagerly submit to his rule over my life today. And I will encourage others to do the same. You see, I am a citizen of the kingdom And I am a subject of the king right now. And I have an agent of the king, the Holy Spirit, Numa himself, who companions me every single day. I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait to put my hope in the coming reign of Jesus Christ to work. I can do it right now. And as I do... 
the blessings of his kingdom will begin to flow into my life even before the king arrives, even before he gets to take his place on the world's throne. I will eagerly submit to his rule over my life today. I will encourage others to do the same. You see, that kind of submission must become personal. Our Lord and Savior would call each of us to say, this is my submission. You are the king over my life. Now, what does that kind of submission apply? What does it imply? We, we could end this message right now and just say, do that. Do that. But if I'm going to do that, if I'm really going to submit to his rule over my life today, what, what does that mean? How do I get a grasp of that? Well, I wanted to share this morning five implications of that submission. If we really submit to Jesus Christ as, as king over all and king over our lives, here's five areas, five implications of it, and we're just going to go through them quickly. Five I will statements. They're all implied by the, and they flow naturally from our submission to him. Each of them could become the focus of an entire sermon. This morning, I'm just going to identify them, list some key scriptures that relate to them, and encourage you to, to thoroughly read those scriptures, think about them, and apply these things in your unique life circumstances, all five of them, as you look ahead to this week and the weeks to come. Number one, implied by me submitting myself to Jesus Christ as Lord, as King, is I will make his teachings my curriculum. What do I spend my time studying? What do I spend my time learning? What do I spend my time taking in and making myself familiar with? A lot of parents today, almost all parents today, have become teachers. Hasn't that been exciting? All of a sudden, you got all your kids at home. This is the time of year that parents used to just, oh, hang on for. All summer, we got the kids, and now they're going back to school. The bus is going to come. My mother would say, Mark, the bus is coming. Finish your breakfast. Finish your breakfast. It was breakfast I didn't want to eat. I knew if I just waited till the bus got there, I'd be free. And down the road it would come. I can hear it at the neighbor's house. Come on, Mark. Come on. All the other family members, my brothers and sisters, running out there to get on the bus. Come on, Mark. And then when we all got on the bus, and my dad took the car to work. He'd already taken it. My mom was home free. She couldn't go anywhere, do anything, nor did she want to. It's like the kids are gone. For nine months, they'll be gone. Kind of balances off the nine months of preparation. But not this year. Not for mothers this year, hardly anywhere in the United States. The kids aren't leaving. September is not the promised land. Hang on till September. And there they are. Got their own little computer, got their own little classroom set up, got their own uh, mother supposed to be all of a sudden a what? 
an expert in things that she's probably not. So what do we teach them? Christian parents, I would suggest this is a marvelous time to bring Jesus back into the school. The schools come into your home. You're not trying to get your home into the school. The schools come into your home and your children there, you're kind of monitoring them and helping them make a big part of your children's life curriculum, which we should be doing anyway, Christ's teachings. What did Jesus really say? What does Jesus really desire for us? What kind of life does Jesus teach we should live? Jesus said here in in Matthew Well, this was in John. He says, you are my friends, I would say true citizens of the king, if you do what I command. Jesus has told us a lot of things that he desires we do, that we live by. The best collection of them are on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapters 5 to 7, and the upper room discourses, the last things he taught his disciples, John 13 to 17. The core truths of the Christian life are in these passages. And one key concept and responsibility of the Holy Spirit is for him to remind us of everything Jesus taught. These passages, the Sermon on the Mount and the Upper Room Discourses, John 13 to 17, they summarize the entire body of teaching of Jesus Christ. We need to go over those regularly. We need to remind ourselves of what did Jesus teach? So many people are trying to do what Jesus would do, and they have no idea what Jesus actually said. So I will make his teachings my curriculum. Secondly, I will make his church my highest priority. Thanks for being here this morning. You know? We could be flirting with disaster this morning. You don't know. But we could be flirting with disaster every single day, right? Hurricane could come through right now and take the roof off this building and a few of us with it. But we're here. Why? Because we're part of Christ's church. And the Bible tells us there's nothing on earth more precious to him than that. I will build my church, he said, Matthew 16, 18. Paul said he is the foundation of the church in 1 Corinthians 3.11. Paul also said he's the head of the body. He's the head of the church in Ephesians chapter 5. I would have to say I have marveled at the courage and insight of John MacArthur over the last few weeks. For he has articulated the incredibly vital importance of the gathered body of Christ in worship and fellowship. Jesus would say amen to that. Now I know wherever two or more are gathered, there he is in our midst. But also we know that when the body comes together and Paul says, you know, you might be an ear, you might be an eye, you know, you don't get much of a body if two eyes and one ear showed up. That would be three though. Jesus would be there, right? But just joking about it, you'd say, I don't know how many people would recognize him. You walk into a room and see two eyes and one ear, you say, I wonder who that is. When you get all the parts of the body together, you have Christ in a very, very special way. We have a good part of Jesus Christ here 
in this room this morning. We said months ago, one of the values of coming to church is that you bring a little bit of Jesus with you. And when you're not there, there's something of Jesus missing. And each one of us brings a part of the body of Christ. And that's precious to him. And John MacArthur has reminded me just how precious uh, that should be to us as well. Those of you watching at home, I hope there's at least two of you there. But in a sense, we're in this together. And we are part of your living room. We are. And there, God can do those kind of things. It's not like you're there all by yourself. You are there and we are here. And together, we are doing the very same thing at the very same time. And so you feel that you've brought a part of Jesus into this midst, into our midst as well. But his church, it becomes our highest priority. Nothing on earth organizationally is more important to us than what Jesus himself is building in this world, his church. If we're submitted to him, we will catch a little bit of the things that value or that he values. Here's the third thing. I will make his likeness my goal, becoming like Jesus. I preached a message, a series a few years ago we called Mirror Image, becoming a a reflection of Jesus himself. God says that the Spirit of God is changing us from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Christ. And then the Father says that his desire in Romans chapter 8 is that Jesus would become the firstborn of many brothers. God wants many like his son joining his family, becoming like him, allowing the Holy Spirit to to just conform us to the image of Christ. Jesus bore the image of God in this world as a human being like nobody else. He was flawless. He was perfect. The image of God just glowed on him. As we are given new birth into the family of God, that image of God, by the help of the Spirit, as we become like Christ, can become more and more visible. Until at least other believers can say, you're one of his, aren't you? I knew you were a Christian two sentences into our conversation. Well, why is that? Because you're recognizing in that person something that's consistent with the character of Jesus himself and with other believers. And so to submit to him means that that's our desire too. That's our desire too, to make his likeness, becoming like Christ, our goal. And the Father's provided ways for that to happen. And the way it happens comes right out of uh, I will statement four. I will make his spirit my daily companion. Keeping in step with Numa, Paul said, is the secret to the Christian life. Jesus said, this spirit will guide you into all truth. So the only way, the only way to get from point A to point B in the Christian life, in the growth of grace, is by the Holy Spirit who knows the way from point A to point B. We Christians can wander around in the wilderness just as much as the Israelites in the Old Testament did. 
If we're not keeping in step with the Spirit, if we're not letting the Holy Spirit guide us, we can just go around in circles saying, well, I think this and I think that. You know, it seems to me that. But getting from point A to point B, growing in grace into the likeness of Christ, requires us walking with somebody who knows the way. Someone who knows Jesus personally who knows Jesus intimately and knows exactly what he's trying to produce in us. So we need to yield to the Spirit. And if you don't do so, I'd encourage you, get yourself a copy of Nudges and Hugs and read it. Hear the Holy Spirit's voice saying, walk this way. Walk this way today. Think about this today. Let me grow you into the likeness of Christ. It's a tool. It can help. If you don't use it, you must have something that's even better. So let me know what it is, and uh, we'll use it together. Number five, final implication of my submission to Jesus, King Jesus, I will make his father my ultimate confidence. David knew that long centuries before Jesus came to earth. He said in Psalm 121 to my help, what, what makes me feel confident that things are going to work out? Where's my help coming from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Jesus said, praying to the Father, John chapter 17, knowing you is eternal life, the real life, the good life, the abundant life, the life that has the power to bring me through all that uh, this world would throw at me. The quality of life that Jesus lived himself, that comes from intimately knowing the Father, just like Jesus did. And I'll tell you, in God we trust is certainly under attack in our country today. And you know that's even understandable. Because to a lot of people, that's nothing more than a slogan, a bumper sticker that has served its purpose. In God we trust. And the reason that is, is because for a great number of Americans, it's an outright lie to say that. In God we trust. They don't. They don't. And so many would say the words, but they've really got their trust in other things. We've invested a lot of time the last year or so in trying to get to know God, to know the 30 qualities, the aspects of his nature that he's revealed in the scripture. They need to be reviewed regularly. Did you notice something this morning as we sang our songs? something new, something different. Linda likes to do stuff all the time and then wonder if anybody noticed what she did. But before every song today, Linda put up a slide that displayed one particular aspect of God's nature that we studied, one of the 30, that relates to the song we're just about to sing. We need to be reminded of these things all the time. God's attributes apply to our daily lives and what we need. Our Father is merciful, magnificently merciful. Isn't that good to know when you've messed up? 
He's merciful. He understands. We're made out of dust. And he will forgive us. And he will continually cleanse us and re-strengthen us. I will make his father my ultimate confidence. But those are five things. If we're really going to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, these five things are going to come into play. And they will shape our lives. And they will put our faith to work and our hope to work. And we will find ourselves more hopeful than ever before because every one of them leads into renewing a hopeful heart all the time. So God bless you as you do so. Our final thought says this. Simply deploy your hope for this week. Deploy your hope in daily submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think we can do that? Let's do it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is not a hopeless place we're in. Not for your people. Father, you tell us that we don't sorrow over any of the tragedies of life like those who have no hope. Because our hope says, God will care for this. God will bring me through this. God will even strengthen my life as a result of this. And so to be hopeful is really rather unique. It's one of the special blessings of a child of God, to be hopeful. And so, Father, we pray, we thank you that Jesus Christ one day will rule over this entire world, and therefore we can allow him and ask him to rule by his Holy Spirit over our lives right now. That his will will be done in us. His purposes will be carried out in us. And the world will see that we are yielded to him. And we ask you this now and ask your blessing upon this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen.